Please take your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 2. We're continuing to see what it looks like to be a church in action. And if we're not a church in action, then what are we really doing? If all we do is meet together, we're not a church fully in action, like we're seeing here on the day of Pentecost. This move of God that they experienced caused them to preach to others the wonderful works of God. To move from where they had been endued to preaching to those who had gathered around, giving them the Word of God. And therefore, a church in action is a church that is getting the gospel out to the world. And can we say from our text that we're a Spirit-filled church? Are we actively getting the gospel out? Are you doing your part? Not just a sermon from the pulpit. But I'm talking about taking the message outside of this facility, going to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, and giving them the Word of God. Are you doing that tonight? And as we talked about last week from verses 12 and 13, there's going to be skeptics and critics along the way as we present Christ. Some will ask, what meaneth this? Well, that gives us a good opportunity, amen? Others will mock and they'll begin to hurl accusations. These men are drunk. People will tell you, you're crazy, you're brainwashed. (laughs) You believe in a God you've never seen. But we can't allow any of that noise to distract distract us or deter us from the main mission of our church, the main priority, the main goal of giving God's Word out. Because as we'll see later on here in chapter 2, There in verse 37, there will be those who are pricked in their heart and they will ask, what must I do? And so we just have to stay faithful and let God decide as He draws. So let's pick up where we left off. I read all of Peter's sermon last week and I don't want to do that tonight. We'll only read verses 12 through 21. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it has come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on My servants and on My handmaidens I will pour out in those days of My Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and in signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire Vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen Amen and amen. So here are these followers of Jesus. They're now endued with power from on high which has enabled them to preach in other languages. And as I just mentioned, these in Jerusalem, 
They hear them speak and some are skeptical, some are critical. Some can't figure it out. It makes no sense to them that these unlearned Galileans all of a sudden can speak another language in perfect dialect. And and remember we saw earlier uh, in our study, they were confounded. Then they were amazed. And then they began to marvel. And so it caused some to ask, what does all of this mean? At least they were willing to seek for answers. I can respect that. But then there were others who because they did not understand, they just decided to mock and accuse them of being drunk. And as we covered last week, people will often mock what they don't understand. Well, we see tonight, beginning in verse 15, that Peter, an early leader of this body of believers, and certainly one who had a previous reputation of being outspoken, he's the one who stands up and lifts up his voice to address this crowd. And it may be noteworthy to highlight that this is the first defense of Christianity in public after Christ has ascended. So this is the first apologetic, if you will, that's taking place in the early church without Jesus upon the earth. And so he calls for their attention. Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. And then he tells them, they're not drunk. Again, this is still part of what we covered last week. These are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, which would be 9 a.m. our time. And, and as I mentioned, it's not that he's saying this because it's early in the day and most people don't get drunk early in the day. What I believe he's saying is, is that devout Jews in that day, on a feast day, would abstain from anything to drink or to eat until about 10 o'clock. And I think that's what's really being said there is that's the reason why we're not drunk. Then in verse 16, Peter, he starts to give them the Word of God. And and I mentioned at the close of my sermon last week that this is the Spirit of God working in Peter to all of a sudden give him utterance, to speak effectively. And we need the Spirit of God upon our lives if we're going to be effective in getting the Word of God out, preaching Christ. And it isn't enough just to say somebody needs Christ. But we have to be able to work with them and have verses ready to support our claim. I would certainly not embarrass anyone, but this morning somebody, I was teasing giving one of our invite cards to one of our church members. And I said, here, I'd like to invite you to church. You know Christ is your Savior, blah, blah, blah. And they said, do you? And I said, well, here's a card. Why don't you lead me to Christ? We need to know. I mean, this is why we're here. Now, I was only teasing, and and it was just kind of a joke there, but we we do need to know. We've got to be able to have the verses to support our claim. Well, Peter here, he ties what is taking place in their day to a prophecy in Joel, and he says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. If we consider how much these apostles missed during the three and a half years that they were with Christ, this is really remarkable that now... Peter's pulling Joel here. I mean, they missed, they missed Christ having to go to the cross. And now, Peter stands up before all of these that he once was afraid of. I don't know the man. Cursed and swore that he didn't know him. Ran off crying bitterly. And now, here's this man with this boldness and knowledge of the Word of God. And he's able to understand that what's taking place here is a fulfillment 
of prophecy. I find this really remarkable. And you may recall from Luke's introduction to this book in chapter 1, how after that Christ was resurrected, He was seen by the disciples for 40 days before He ascended. And during that time, it tells us that He was speaking unto them things pertaining the kingdom of God. But we, we, while we understand that Jesus was teaching them, we also have to remember that while Jesus was with them, He said the day was coming that the Holy Spirit would come and would guide them into truth. John 16, verses 12 through 14, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Can I just pause right there and tell you that that's a wise thing with a lot of new Christians. I think a lot of times we jump into subject matter with new Christians that they cannot bear yet. Jesus said, I got some things I want to tell you, but you're not ready to bear it. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. And so that's being fulfilled here on the day of Pentecost. Peter is being shown. He's, he's being led into truth. He's being guided into all truth. And so the difference in these apostles' understanding before Christ's resurrection and their understanding of how the Word of God now applies uh, to Christ after His ascension is incredible. All of the sudden, there's this amount of knowledge that they have and, and they are being guided by the Spirit. We've already seen an example of this in chapter 1 when Peter stands up in the midst of of the body of believers there, and he says, we've got to replace Judas Iscariot. And he starts quoting Old Testament Scripture that is a fulfillment, was a prophecy of Judas Iscariot. And he says, we've got to replace him. And so we've already seen this example. I guess what I'm saying right here is, it's not that all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost they had knowledge. Remember, Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20 and they received the Holy Ghost. All this is this day is just for them to be able to speak in another language. They already had the Holy Spirit. Now granted, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit there. That's what the prophecy was. Dwell in Jerusalem until you be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so they're baptized with the Holy Ghost here, but they already had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They already had the ability to discern Scriptures. We're just seeing a building upon of that here in chapter 2. And so as they're empowered, they, they already had the Spirit of wisdom. Peter further shows how their understanding has blossomed since they had first received the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. So our Bible is a spiritual book. Say amen right there. Amen. And if you're going to understand it, you've got to have the Spirit. Amen. Because that's the only way you're going to discern spiritual things. We have to guide people. 
Consider Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. In Acts 8, verses 30 and 31, and Philip ran thither to him. I'd have been out of breath by the time I got there. I couldn't have witnessed. But he, he runs thither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, remember, the eunuch there was reading from Isaiah 53. I mean, to us, we read Isaiah 53, we see Christ through and through. But you see, to a lost man, even though it's absolutely clear to us, to somebody even like the eunuch here, uh, the Ethiopian who's writing back, he's like, I, I, I don't know who it's speaking of. So people need help along the way. Another reason we need to have the Spirit of God upon our life. And of course, Philip, he went on to expound the Scriptures, and he preached Christ. And I said at the opening of this, of this series that that's what you'll find throughout the whole book of Acts. They were preaching Christ. And that's what we need to do, not get caught up in other issues. So Peter here, he's being guided of the Spirit because this is a spiritual book. He now has spiritual understanding. He's able to discern what the Word of God says in context of what is taking place. He recognizes that the endowment of the power that they have experienced from on high is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy some 750 years earlier. And only by the Spirit of God could Peter have been shown this fact. He, he brings this back to the fulfillment of the Word of God as the explanation. Now, he does that in hopes that the others will learn that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah that Jesus had resurrected, that He had ascended, that His kingdom did come. And so that's what we're trying to do with people. We're trying to give them the Word of God to open their understanding to the things of God, of Christ. Amen? Not open their minds and understanding to why somebody may be born this way or that way. Or open their minds even though some of what I'm covering on Sunday mornings about evolution and creation. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to see that they are sinners in need of a Savior. I'm not saying that that conversation won't go down that road, but I am saying be careful how far down you go that road because you'll end up in the weeds and they have now distracted you from the main thing. Peter then goes on to quote Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, here in Acts, 7, or here in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. I'm going to read those again. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. prophesy. I always get this mixed up. How do I pronounce that? Prophesy. Is that somebody say prophesy? Uh, prophesy. And your young men shall... The reason I ask is I got chewed out once. I did. A guy came and put a finger in my chest and said, you better start saying it right or don't say it at all. That's a fact. And I said, whoa, man, I'm just from Georgia. I mean, I'm public education. I don't know. All right, we're going to go with prophesy tonight. Say, so is that guy here tonight? No. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's amazing. Peter doesn't have the scroll in front of him. He didn't quickly roll through the thing to find Joel chapter 2. He just knows the Word of God. Amen. And he quotes the Word of God, so you're not going to find a word-for-word quote here, but it is very close. And so it's amazing to me that there's a lot of debate concerning this passage and how it connects to Joel. In some cases, there's even division among the brethren over this issue. But may it not be so among us. To me, Peter is as clear as he can be in verse 16 when he states emphatically, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That to me seems pretty clear that what is taking place on the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. I don't know any other way to read that. Now, the Bible is, of course, the best commentary on the Bible. And if Peter says that this is that which was spoken by Joel, then I have to conclude that this is in fact a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, or at least some of it. I found a book on my shelf entitled The Acts of the Apostles. It was written by Charles Ryrie, the man who put together the Ryrie Study Bible. And here's what he had to say about the fulfillment of this verse, quote, This is a prophecy which will be fulfilled during the millennium. Peter was not saying that the prophecy was fulfilled at Pentecost or even that it was partially fulfilled. Knowing from Joel what the Spirit could do, he was simply reminding the Jews that they should have recognized what they were then seeing as a work of the Spirit also. He continued to quote from Joel at length only in order to be able to include the salvation invitation recorded in verse 21. Well, that blows my mind. If, if, if it's fulfilled in the millennium, then why read verse 21? Okay, now, there's no question Ryrie was a learned man, amen? He knew how to say prophecy and prophesy and prophesy. I mean, the man was smart. But I think he got it wrong on this. And, and, and listen, he's not alone. There are many who teach it this way. There's many who believe that all of this is still yet future. The fact is, this is a fairly recent teaching you'll find that all the old commentators taught Joel's prophecy was being fulfilled here because of what Peter says. So I want to examine this just a little bit further. Now, we're given the time frame of the prophecy. It shall come to pass when? In the last days. So we have to find when are the last days. If we don't define that first, then we're going to be wrong altogether. Well, Hebrews gives a definition. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto us, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Clearly, the last days began with Christ. 
I mean, it's, it's as plain as it can be there in Hebrews 1. And I'm not sure why so many try to place this in the millennial reign of Christ when there isn't much biblically to suggest that the last days will be during Christ's reign upon the earth. There's a difference between last days, plural, and the last day, singular. One letter can make all the difference. Just ask the Apostle Paul, who over in Galatians said, not seeds, plural, as in many, but seed, one, singular. Talking about Christ, it made all the difference. Now, I think some people tend to get tripped up on the timing of this prophecy because it does talk about the sun being darkened and the moon turning into blood, which most will agree, and I think should agree, that it is still future from today. But notice the timing here again. It says these wonders in heaven above and on the earth beneath will happen when? Before the great and notable day of the Lord. So we have two time frames given. We have that some of this is going to happen in the last days. Some of this is going to happen before the great notable day of the Lord. The, the day of the Lord in your authorized King James Bible always refers to God's wrath. Unfortunately, new Bible versions have taken the day of Christ and the day of the Lord and made them all to say the day of the Lord. This is a great injustice in the Word of God because there is a very definite difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is always a good thing for the saints. He's coming for us. The day of the Lord is always a time of God's wrath. So we have to keep those separate. And I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but stay with me, I guess. The wonders in heaven above and in the earth beneath only need to take place at some time during the time period that we call the last days, and it has to happen sometime before the day of the Lord. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit, and then the sun, moon, are going to be affected before the great and notable day of the Lord, which we know from other passages will take place shortly before God will pour out His wrath. I believe it's when the sixth seal is open. Revelation 6, 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And so we see wonders in heaven, we see wonders in earth there. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? So the opening of the sixth seal, which takes place before the millennial reign of Christ, I personally, I see no room here for a fulfillment of this prophecy in the millennial reign. I think it all has to take place beforehand. When, when what we have seen taking place here is Joel's prophecy started to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Joel said, I will pour out my spirit. God said through the prophet Joel. What are we seeing here? He's pouring out his spirit upon them. It started to be fulfilled here on the day of, of Pentecost. And I believe it's going to have its conclusion at the end 
of the last days, right before the day of the Lord. Just because both are mentioned in one prophecy doesn't have to mean that both take place simultaneously. It started in the last days. It'll run its course before the day of the Lord. And the clincher for me is verse 21. The fact that he would say, uh, is it verse 21 in Acts or over in Joel? Yeah, it's 21 here in Acts. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it shall come to pass when? In the last days. And before the great and notable day of the Lord. During that time period, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Afterwards, it'll be too late. It'll be the time of God's wrath. The mystery of God will be finished, the Bible says. What's the mystery? It's the salvation of sinners. It's Christ living in us. It's Christ and the Gentile. It's Gentile and Jew being made one. It's the middle wall of partition being broken down. Paul, in writing to the Romans, was clear that we are living in the days of salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A direct quote from Job. All of this lines up perfectly. Joel said the day was coming that whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be delivered. Peter said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And aren't you glad God is long-suffering to us or not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Whoop! Amen. John 3, 14 and 16, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 4, 13 and 14, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John eleven twenty six and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Speaking to Martha, I believe. John twelve forty six and I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. First John four fifteen whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Revelation twenty two and verse seventeen and the Spirit and the Bride say come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Aren't you glad? Whosoever surely meaneth me. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, you can't get so far that God can't reach you tonight. Whosoever will. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And it was grace that relieved my fear. It's amazing grace that God has. Amen. And if you happen to be one here tonight and you're still outside of Christ, you're in the group of whosoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, I want you to know tonight, God loves you. He died for you. So that whosoever could place their faith and trust in Him for salvation. You know, maybe you're one tonight, you feel your past is so sinful 
that God possibly could not save you, or maybe that God wouldn't even want to save you. What would God want with somebody like me? I want you to know that's all a lie from the devil. God loves you too. His precious blood can wash away every sin. If you'll acknowledge you are whosoever, then all those verses I just cited can be true of you. Believe in Him and you'll never perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Drink of His water and you'll never thirst again. Believe on Him and you'll never die. Believe on Him and you will not abide in darkness. Go to Christ and God will dwell in you and you in Him. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. What a blessing to know tonight that God can save to the uttermost. Now along those lines, I want to get another thought in here tonight. God said He would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. All flesh means Jew and Gentile alike. We'll see that as we move through the book of Acts. In Numbers 11, God took the Spirit which was upon Moses. Remember that account? And He gives some of that Spirit that was upon Moses to the 70 elders that were in the the camp. Long story short, Joshua didn't know what to make of it and he was a little concerned for his servant or for his Lord Moses. And so he comes running up to Moses and, and he says, My Lord Moses, forbid them. But Moses said, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Well, we see here in our text that God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. This is the Spirit of prophecy. But this outpouring would not be unique to elders only. God will give His Spirit to sons and daughters. Old men, to young men, to servants and handmaidens. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12.13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. I'm glad tonight that our God is no respecter of persons. He wants to give you His Spirit. He wants to pour out His Spirit upon this body of believers. But we have to desire it. We have to want it. Jesus said in Luke 11, 9-13, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, shall he give him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, listen now, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to them that ask of Him? Why aren't we Spirit-filled? 
Why aren't we effective like the day of Pentecost? Why aren't we bold in our presentation? Why don't we know that we have the truth? Why do we cower in a corner? Why do we act like it's okay for sin to run rampant? God said, listen you fathers, if your son asks you for a gift, you give him a good gift. How much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you'll ask Him? I'm just not effective. I'm just not reaching people. It's just not working out. I can't seem to get victory and I don't know what's going on in my life. God said, if you'll ask, I'll give you. I'm afraid we don't ask. I think we just grow content that this is what Christianity is. Do you have the Spirit of God upon your life? Do you? Do you want the Spirit of God upon your life? then ask your heavenly Father. He promised He would give the Holy Spirit to all who ask Him. What does it say in Joel and now quoted in in Acts? Your young men, your old men, your sons, your daughters, your handmaidens, your servants. God doesn't care of what your status is. He doesn't care your gender. He doesn't care your race. He doesn't care about any of those things. He's no respecter. And God here is saying, if you'll ask, I'll give it. Now, to be clear, it does not mean you can live like the devil and ask for the Spirit and expect to be endued with power from on high. But it does mean that if you love God, will live for God, will serve God, desire to please God, want to be used by God, seek humbly after God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you can come before God. You can ask God for His Spirit to be poured out upon you. Listen tonight, God knows your heart. He knows if you're just giving lip service. I understand that at salvation we get all of the Holy Spirit that we need. I believe that. I don't believe in the charismatic teaching that we have to somehow get more in order to evidence our salvation. But let's be honest tonight. The Bible does say that we can quench and we can grieve the Spirit in our life. And even though we received all of the Spirit that we need, listen, we do harm to God working in our life because we get in the way. So what do we need? We need a fresh anointing of oil. We need, we need a new anointing. We, listen, there's nothing wrong with coming before God and saying, God, I've messed up. But I want to get that right with you. And you said in your word that if I ask my heavenly Father that you would give good gifts. And you said that if I asked for the Spirit, you would give it. If you want more of God in your life, if you want to be more effective and make more of an impact, then I just want to tell you tonight, get serious about your walk with God. Get serious. Get serious. Be here on Wednesday night for prayer. I'm just going to run late so I can miss prayer and be there for the preaching. Get serious. Well, I just don't think ladies' meetings and men's prayer are just that important. Get serious. 
well, I'm just tired. We're all tired. Get serious. Could that be the reason why? We're not seeing the lost reach like we should? Thank God for those God brings in here. I love plug and play people. We need them being a military church. Amen? In and out, we've got people coming and going. But are we reaching the lost? If you want to make an impact, get serious. Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Let's pray.